0: Praise the Lord, everyone. God bless you. Let's stand together. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bless us all here today. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your wonderful blessings, your great truth, your salvation, your gospel. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be in the house of God. We ask you to bless us all, each and every one here this morning. Touch our lives and hearts. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. And then you may be seated. Amen. I want you to turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 9. We are in a very interesting part of the study of the book of Romans. And uh, I want to... Uh, get into some things here this morning I think you're going to find very interesting. Uh, last week we talked on the subject of predestination that was brought, is brought out in the Bible in chapter, uh, in Daniel chapter 8, the latter part of, chap- of Romans, rather, of Romans uh, chapter uh, 8. We talked about how the, the first part of Romans <clears throat> dealt with the resurrection and it talked about the, uh, the adoption of. The word adoption, which means the resurrection, refers to our bodies being adopted from being an earthly body to a heavenly body, and it's brought out here in the eighth chapter. And then we moved on into the latter part of the eighth chapter, which had to do with the word uh, foreknowledge and foreknew and, and predestination, and we talked about it because our subject was understanding predestination. And the reason is because there are many people who believe that uh, predestination is an individual thing. There's a certain whole denominations of Christians who believe that we are predestined to be saved or predestined to be lost. And the Bible doesn't teach that at all. If we believe that, then there are many scriptures we have to rule out as being meaningless or either we don't understand it or it's contradictive. And so to understand predestination, we have to understand what we look at when we look at it very closely, and this is what we talked about last week, is that we're not predestined as individuals, but the word predestination here is referring to the church, and what Paul continues to do in the book of Romans is to validate the Gentile church to the Jewish writers who may be reading this epistle. And he's saying that just because they don't come through the way of the law or they come through Israel or they have to uh, line up to Israel's teachings doesn't mean they're not saved. And he goes so on so far as to finally say that even whenever, before God ever called Abraham to be the first Jew, before he ever dealt with the Jews, he already had in mind to one day have a Gentile church. And he talked about that. And that's the predestination part. The church is predestined. And I, of course, finalized that last week by saying, stay with the church, amen, <laughs> stay in the body of Christ, amen. If we do that, we'll be saved, amen, because the, the church is guaranteed to be saved, it's predestined to be saved. You and I are as individuals or not. We finally concluded by saying that uh, <clears throat> there, are, and we showed scripture on that, that uh, we can be lost after we're saved. We can be lost if we uh, don't follow on. And then we also talked about anybody can be saved, and it is God's will that all people be saved. We brought that out. And I won't go any further with that, only to take it a little bit further here today on the sovereignty of God. Now, Paul goes a little bit further here in this ninth chapter when he talks about the sovereignty of God. And he's saying because God is sovereign, therefore God can do what he wants to do any way he wants to do it. And so he begins to show how God did some things. And this, again, is thought to be, oh, it's more proof of predestination. It is not. And I'm going to show you in Scripture why it's not, what it refers to, and what Paul was laying out here with that. Look at chapter 9. This is a continuation of where we left off last week at the end of chapter 8. And uh, chapter 9, verse 1, look very closely here because he talks about Israel his own kinspeople, his own kinsmen, and their plight with God and their failure to acknowledge that God did not was not also going to include the Gentiles to be saved. So here's what he says in nine one. I say the truth in Christ. Uh, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen. He's speaking of the Jewish people here. According to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption. In other words, the adoption, which is in reference to the resurrection, that was originally given to them. You know, originally told about to them. And so they were aware of it to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. And he's saying all these things were given to Israel that they would be sort of a, a leader in all of these things. Now I'm going to read, look at verse 6 here. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And this is what he brings out then from this point on just to say I'm Israelite doesn't mean you're saved. But he said all that are, is of Israel are not Israel. Now he goes into an area here because Israel is the, is the uh, changed name of Jacob. If you recall in history in the book of Genesis, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, uh, and Isaac, of course, begat Jacob and also begat Esau. And so Jacob... The name Jacob means supplanter or deceiver. It was a negative name, and it was hung on Jacob for a long time until Jacob wrestled with God as an angel. An angel appeared to him, which was God manifested flesh, and Jacob wrestled with him, and the angel said, Let me go. He said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. And so then finally the angel said, All right, I'll bless you. From now on, your name shall not be Jacob. It shall be called Israel. And the name Israel means prince of God. Okay, from that time on, Jacob was called Israel. Sometimes you read in the Bible in the places where it says the sons of Jacob. When it speaks of the sons of Jacob, it is not talking about Israelites. It is talking about Jews who don't live for God, who don't serve the Lord. In other words, they're that old way, that old uh, old thing that they have, and they just don't live for God and serve the Lord. they call the sons of Jacob. This is found in the Bible in many ways. Well, when this scripture here Says that they are not all Israel, that means they're not all the sons of God who are of Israel. You see what I'm saying? saying? And so it means that you can say, oh, well, I am an Israelite, therefore I'm saved automatically. I'm a child of uh, God because of the fact I was born that way. And he said, no, no, no. You know, uh, you can be of Israel, but you cannot be necessarily Israel that is the son of God or the sons of God, or that is, to have his spirit in us. Now, he goes on to say here in verse 7, and, and of course, he's talking here about uh, the, the uh, sovereignty of God. Verse 6, and I'm going to read verse 7 here now. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Because now he refers to the fact that Abraham had more than one son. He had Ishmael, who was the father of the Arab world, Everybody knows that. And then he is the father of Isaac, who is the father of, uh, of Jacob and Esau. And of them Jacob, he had 12 sons. They're all Israelites. But so everyone who was a son necessarily of Abraham and even of Isaac was not necessarily a chosen vessel of God and did not become a chosen people of God. And Abraham also, after Sarah died, married Keturah, Keturah was another woman, another wife that Abraham had in his old age. And from Keturah, he had six sons. And those six sons eventually went over into parts of what we know today as Saudi Arabia. And there they settled and and so forth. And history talks about some of them and so forth. One of them, incidentally, one of those sons of Keturah was named Afra. In the Bible called Afra. And uh, it's uh, Afra, I think it's R-A, and it's Afra. And his grandson, Ophir, was a grandson of Abraham. He was a son of the son of Abraham. And his grandchildren later conquered Libya. And they named it after their grandfather, Ophir, or Afir. And that's from the word Africa, comes from that word. And that's recorded in Josephus. It's recorded also in other Egyptian writings that the word Africa comes from the word. Aphra, which was the grandson of Abraham coming from the t- couture. Well, I just threw that in for free, right? <laughs> but I'm just saying here, this was the effect of these sons and how that they went into different parts, and so they began to live in other parts here, Then they were sort of like the Arab world. They are like Ishmael. They were all like, hey, we're cousins, and uh, we're connected in some way or another, and on and on and on. So... Uh, He goes on to say here about these people, I'm going to get into something a little bit uh, different here. He says, neither because they're the seed of Abraham, they are all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. It was not in Ishmael or any of the Keturah's sons. And then verse 8, that is, they which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God. Now he's comparing that with the spiritual side. There is the church who is the spiritual people of God. And then there's the carnal side. I don't care whether you're Jew or Gentile is what he was saying. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile if you don't have the spirit of God. And Then it goes on to say here, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. In other words, the ones that God said, these are going to be mine and they're going to be special unto me. Now, look very closely here uh, at verse 10. I want to go into... Uh, something a little bit different here. We're talking about the sovereignty of God emphasized. Now, everybody got your, you got your thinking cap on? You're with me here? Look closely with these verses. I'm going to take you in a little different direction here this morning. Not only this, but when uh, Rebecca, Rebecca was Isaac's wife, Rebecca also had conceived by one even by our father Isaac for the children being not yet born. She had twins. Rebecca had twins without yet born, neither having done any good or evil before they were ever good or bad or never knew anything that the purpose of God, according to the election might stand, not of works, but of he that calleth. It was said of her, the elder shall serve the younger, the elder shall serve the younger. Now, the first of those twins that was born was Esau. The second one was born was Jacob. And Jacob always wanted to be what Esau was, the firstborn and having the birthright of the firstborn. This is why whenever he, one time Esau came out of the woods, he'd been hunting and he was very hungry. And Jacob, had cooked up a big pot of of stew. Uh, The Bible tells it was a red stew he fixed up. Always said it was chili. It had to be chili. Anyhow, he had a big pot of red stew all fixed up. And uh, Esau saw it and said, oh my, I want a bowl of I'm famished, I'm starving. Jacob, give me some food, I'm about to die. And he said, all right, fine, I'll give you a bowl of stew for your birthright. Sell me your birthright and I'll give you a bowl of-. And he said, all right, all right, who so care? I don't care anything about my birthright, you can have it. So when he did, he sold his birthright for that pot of stew, showing in his heart that he had no respect for it nor regard for it. And when he got older, when he got to be a grown man, he then went out and started living and sleeping around with other women and, and didn't try to live holy or righteous or God-fearing, and he cared nothing about the position that he had as being Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but Jacob did. Jacob wanted that. He wanted to be part of that, and Jacob wanted that birthright. He wanted the blessings of God upon him, and eventually in time, that's what Jacob received. But that was prophesied even at their birth that the elder would serve the younger because the younger would have actually the blessings of God over him and would have the blessings of God on him and would actually eventually be over him. This was Esau. And so then it goes on to mention it. And this is what that's, and that's all of that's recorded in Genesis chapter 25. And I won't go any further in detail. Now, the 13th verse is very interesting. Look at it very closely. Look at the 13th verse because it follows verse 12. There was said of her that the elder shall serve the younger. And then 13th verse says, as it is written. Notice that at the end of 12 is a period. Now verse 13 says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And when you read this right here, you can almost get the impression that from the time they were born, he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau from the time they were born. And it sounds like, man, if that's not predestination, I don't know what is. But when you analyze the scriptures, it's not like that at all. Because the Lord said the, youngers, the the uh, elder shall serve the younger in Genesis 25, but some 1,200, 1,300 years later, he would say, I have loved I have loved Jacob, but Esau have I hated. Not speaking of the men themselves, but of the nations that they became, the nations they became. And I'm going to show you some things here about that today. So, Esau was uh, what became a nation called the Edomites. Uh, uh, if you've we've got our overhead thing here, turn to Genesis. I think it's uh, uh, Genesis 18. I believe it's 18.9. Uh, 18.1. Go to Genesis 18.1. I believe it is. Uh, just for a quick reference here, I don't have it marked here anywhere. I think it's 18.1. Where is Okay, here we go. No, no, look at 16. Maybe it's 16, 16.1. If I buy if them off, I don't always. No, that's not the right one. All right, I'll, I'll just let that pass. But anyhow, in the scriptures here, it speaks about, the Bible says that Esau is, uh, uh, Esau is Edom, and Edom is the nation that became Esau. Now, I want you to go to Malachi 1, if you would, with me. Malachi uh, chapter 1. This is the last book in the Old Testament. Everybody still with me? I haven't lost you yet, have I? Because I'm going to, I'm going to really give you some things here in a moment. And This is where that verse of scripture is found that's referred to here in Romans chapter 9. This is Malachi 1, the burden of the word of the Lord, this is 1-1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Esau by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved me? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste. Now, when he's talking about mountains here, he's talking about this Esau as a nation. And then he goes on to talk about him in verse 4. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build desolate places, so on and so forth. So he talked about Esau. And then he goes on to say in the latter part of that fourth verse, the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Boy, he's really talking about Esau here. And he's really speaking out against Esau, and he's talking about Esau, and he's saying some very terrible things about Esau, but it comes from this part, Esau, have I hated Jacob? Why? Why? Why did God hate Esau or Edom as the nation that he became? And uh, I'm going to have you turn with me over here. I'm going to tell you a little bit of why this all developed. Look over here in Jeremiah 49, 7. 49.7, 49, seven. this is where Jeremiah prophesies about Edom, Edom. And I'm going to tell you a little bit where Edom was and and the place that it, it, they, they lived, why they were the way they were. If you look in Jeremiah forty-nine, seven, it says, Concerning Edom, thus saith the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Teman, his counsel perished from the prudence as their wisdom vanished Over here in 13, For I have sworn myself, saith the Lord, that Basra shall become a desolation and a reproach of waste and a curse, and all the cities thereof shall be perpetual waste. This was all in Edom. Verse 16, Thy terribleness hath deceived thee, and thy pride of thine heart. I want to show you why they were so proud. And thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock that holdest the height of the hills, though thou shouldest make thy nest as high as the eagle, I will bring thee down. From whence thou sayest, also Edom shall be a desolation. And the Lord is pronouncing judgment here in Jeremiah upon the country of Edom. Now, what was Edom? Edom is where the where Esau's descendants lived. Now, I'm going to give you some description of it. I've been there. It's a place called Petra. And uh, I'm going to show you some pictures here. This is a place that's on the east of Jordan. It's it's in Jordan. It's east of the Jordan River in the country of Jordan. And it is way up in the mountains. And for you to get into this valley, this is a... uh... All right, here's a picture of it here. I know this is hard, hard to make out. Here's a man riding a donkey here. And this little corridor right through here is a little path that's not much wider than here, than those banisters there, you know, that you walk through. This area is what, about a mile long, and it's no wider than this area right in here. And, the, and this goes up 1,000 feet straight up, and it's open air at the top. The only way you get into this valley that's in these mountains in Petra is through this little corridor. The only way you could get in there, you can not get in there any other way. It is surrounded by the most rugged and ragged mountains and cliffs and terrain that, that any conqueror would say it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. There's, a, there's people in there. I'm not even going to try to conquer them. It's, it's too big of a price to pay. And so for them to come through this thing here, the Edomites could handle them. They could, they could set fires in there, smoke them out, All kind of things. So they just said, ah, it's not even worth it. And so this path wanders through here. If you can see how that this, this opening goes up, you can see how that the sun's shining in here and so forth. And it's crazy. It's all wound up and it's real narrow. And sometimes it's shadowy. Sometimes you see straight up. Sometimes you can't quite see straight up. But it opens right on out. And when it finally opens out, when it finally opens out, this is what you see. You don't see it, do you? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, okay. all right this is what you see this is the edge of the opening here and all of a sudden now you see this thing here there's like a big church carved out in the stone and it's called and this is many of you are familiar with this with the Indiana the lost ark and Indiana Jones and the lost ark and this is where they filmed this this part of it and so forth and this is, uh, this is the beginning of the valley of Petra and from there, they begin to begins to go in different directions. And uh, you would actually come out right here where my pen is, right down here. You see, these are people right here. And you come out of, these, of that, the, that cavern, right, that narrow place. Then you see this place here. And then you start wandering on down through here. And, you, and this valley gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it gets way out in here. And this is where those people lived, the Edomites, and nobody could get to them. Nobody had airplanes, nobody had hot air balloons, nobody could go over the top, you know. And the only way you could go was through this little narrow passage that's at the bottom of this picture here that I showed you here to start with. The only way you could get in there, and everybody said, just leave them alone. And this is what the Lord refers to here. Thy terribleness hath deceived thee, and thy pride of thine heart, O thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock. That holdest the height of the hills, though thou shouldest make thy nest as high as the eagles, I will bring thee down. Also, Edom shall be a desolation. So he's saying, I don't care what you think you're so secure. And the Edomites were atheists. They were infidels. They didn't believe in anything. They said, We are, we are our own God. we just we do our own thing. And so they were very secure and they're very good. And here is why God hated them. Here's what they did. I want you to turn with me to uh, the book of, uh, I think it's, uh, it's the book of Obadiah. Obadiah is the book of prophecy against Edom. This is where the Lord prophesied against them. This is very important, folks. It's very important to understand here, not only who, this, who these Edomites were, but also how that God judged them and dealt with them. Uh, this is uh, these are other pictures here. Of Sometimes it shows up. Sometimes it doesn't quite come up clear. I won't try to. There it is. That shows you that, that thing. And then they got others. They've got uh, ones like, uh, like this one. And they're carved out. And all through there, they've got all of these monuments and these churches and things carved in there. And it's an amazing thing to see. But these Edomites were very secure in their dwelling place. Here's what Obadiah says. And I'm going to read this. This is chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God, concerning Edom. This is all about Edom. Look at verse 2. uh, Obadiah 1, 2. This is one of the minor prophets. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceive thee thou hast dwelt in the clefts of the rocks whose habitations is high uh, that which saith his heart who shall bring me down to the ground though thou exalt thyself as the eagle and though thou set thy nest among the stars thence will i bring thee down saith the lord now here's what he says in verse nine there was a reason for all of this and thy mighty men o teman shall be dismayed to the end that every one of Mount Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence, and here's the reason, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob. Not against your brother as a person, but against your brother as a nation, as a nation. And he's talking about Israel here. He said, because of the violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever forever in the day that thou stoodest in the, on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces. The, the Babylonians came up and conquered the Jews, and the Lord allowed that to happen in 588 B.C. And the Edomites, they just got in there and went along with the Babylonians. Here was their brother Esau, their Israel, like, a, like, a, like their cousins, and yet they were against Israel. And they, they joined in with the enemy. He said, they carried away the uh, captive, his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem. Even thou was one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother as the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejo- rejoiced over thy brother Judah in the day of their destruction. goes on the verse, say in verse 13, thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity." This is why God hated Esau. Esau not as a person, but Esau as a nation, that is the Edomites. And he says, he goes on to say at the end of verse 13, I'm reading here Obadiah 113, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You just took things that they had. Verse 14, neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape When the Jews tried to run and escape and get away from the Babylonians, these Edomites literally stood by with swords and killed them as they came out or came by or whatever. They were against, and the Jews thought, these are our brothers. You know, these are our near near kinsmen. Certainly, they'll be our friends, but they were not. I'm telling you why God hated Esau and everything. And it goes on to say in verse 15, For the day of the Lord is near upon all heathen. As thou hast done it, it shall be done unto thee. And he's speaking here to thee. Finally, I'm going to read one other verse here. And, uh, and it goes on to say here in, verses, uh, uh, in verse 19, And they of the south, they of the south, shall possess Mount of Esau. In other words, you're going to be driven out and you'll not have a place, you'll not be there anymore but there's going to be a people that have come from the south, and they were called the Nabataeans. The Nabataeans came in after them, drove them out, and the Nabataeans took over Petra. They're the ones who built all the edifices that you see in there. And the Nabataeans were around for a long time, and they are believed possibly to have been maybe descendants of Abraham and Keturah, that part of the Arab world. And so they were from down in that part. They were very wealthy because they dealt in trade and so forth. But these Edomites were driven out and became nomads. And uh, they become, the, they call the, the, Ebene, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, Ebeneans, Ebeneans, I think they call them, Ebeneans. And so they were the people that became nomads. You can go to Israel today, like in Judah, southern Judah, and they live in tents. They live out in the desert. They have no land. They have nothing. They're just a nomad type people. They have no country of their own. And they're just sort of vagabonds. And uh, they, just, they just live. They live, and You can see them. You can drive through southern Israel and Judah and the deserts out there. And they got goats and some sheep. And they do a little herding. And then they move around and so forth like that. It's a very pitiful thing to see. But God says, I've hated them because of what they did to Israel. Now, I say all that to say to you here that this is why God said, Esau have I hated. And uh, And Jacob have I loved. He loved Jacob, but he said, I hated Esau, not as people, but as a nation, as a nation. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further because he uses another another illustration here concerning the sovereignty of God. Everybody still with me? I'm going to go back to Romans here, chapter 9. He talks about the sovereignty of God. Verse 17. In other words, God can do what he wants to do. God has the right to do whatever he wants to do. And uh, he even talks about how that he's, like the, he's like the potter. The potter makes the vessel. And the vessel doesn't have any choice to say, why have you made me the way I am? I think that's brought out in the scriptures here. And the potter, he said, the, the vessel doesn't say to the potter, why did you make me the way he's making it the way, it any way he wants to, And he can do what he wants to do with the vessel. And he's saying God's that way with all of us. You know, we have no Right. So you can't say God can't use the Gentiles. God can do what he wants to do. You can't say God can't have a Gentile church, Jews, because God can do it if he wants to do it. Because he is a sovereign God, and he is over all things. And all through history, there's, there's places where he has shown that this one I've chosen over that one for a particular reason. I'm going to give you another illustration of that. And this is the one found in, to do with Moses and and the uh, children of Israel before they came out of Egypt. Look at, uh, look at Romans chapter 9 verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh even for this call that same, for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Now he's talking about Pharaoh now in the days of, of Moses. That I have sh- that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and Whom he will, he hardeneth. So the Lord has said, "I'll he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when you read the scriptures in Exodus, it says he hardened Pharaoh's heart. You say, well, God hardened his heart. Pharaoh couldn't do any different because God put his hand in it. Yes, but here's what the Bible says in verse 22, and this is interesting. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known in other words, he did all of this to show his power in Egypt by hardening Pharaoh's heart, endured much long suffering, the vessels of wrath. In other words, this Pharaoh that God hardened his heart, he had himself resisted God. And let me just say this God could do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to, but he did not just resist Pharaoh and harden his heart because. He didn't, just didn't like Pharaoh to start with. Pharaoh did not appreciate God or respect God. He had an animosity against God. He had a dislike for God. And he, had a, he really had a hatred for God. Let me show you a couple things here. I'm going to show you how the Lord responds. I'm going to uh, go over here to Genesis for a moment. Exodus, rather. This is what Exodus says here about Pharaoh. I'm going to read Exodus 5. And one and two. And afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. This is whenever the Lord had said, Moses, you and Aaron go in and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. All right, he said, Israel, let my people go. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Verse two. This is Exodus five and two. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. This was his attitude. And then he goes on to say, verse 4, and the king of Egypt, this is Pharaoh now, verse 4, said unto them, wherefore do you Moses and Aaron let the people from their works get ye into your burdens? Get back to work. And then he goes on to say, in verse 8, he says, they're idle. These people are idle. That's what's wrong with them. They need more burdens. They need more workload. And he starts loading them up. And then verse 17, but he said, you're idle, you're idle. In other words, you've got too much time on your hand, so I'm going to give you more work. This guy was loading burdens upon burdens upon the Jewish people down in Egypt. Every time Moses said, let people, and he would say, I don't know who your God is. I don't know who this Lord is. I don't know, have any idea who he is. I'll do what I want to, and God hardened his heart. And after that is whenever the Lord spoke then, to Moses and Moses step aside now i'm going to show you my wonders in egypt i'm going to harden his heart because he has no regard for me no respect for me no thoughts for me i'm going to harden his heart and he will be he'll be act just as just as mean and arrogant and as snotty as he could act. But in doing so, I'm going to show my power and my glory and my greatness in Egypt by turning the waters into blood, by sending lice upon the land, by sending frogs, by sending darkness upon the land, by sending hail from heaven. I'm just going to show my glory in that place where they'll say, man, the God of Israel is a wow-type God. I mean, he gets mad, you know, if you really cross him. So they'll know that there is a God in Israel. And so this is what the Lord was bringing out. I want to show you that in contrast to uh, the one that we, we often eat or read about that's, in, that's to do with Jonah. Uh, in, over in the book, of, uh, over the book of Jonah, it talks about the Lord calling Jonah and saying, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a Gentile nation. Listen to me closely on this. Nineveh was a Gentile nation. And they had been living wickedly. And the Bible says one, one of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. He didn't want to go there from, from the presence of the Lord. Anytime you flee from the word of God, and away from God, you leave the presence of God, any presence of God that you may have with you. You know the story, Jonah got swallowed by a whale. He was thrown overboard. Got swallowed by a whale when he got coughed up on the land. Then he prayed through. (laughs) He said, God, you know, I did did some crazy things here. Forgive me. And so finally the Lord said, all right, let's start all over, Jonah. Uh, It says, chapter 3, verse 1, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, now, rise, go into Nineveh, the great city, and preach that I bid thee. And so he went forth, and he began to say, I will destroy this city in 40 days. And for three days, he walked through that big city of Nineveh. That was the capital of Syria. I mean, Assyria, Assyria, which is northern Iraq today. And he would walk through that city, and as he did, he would cry, God will destroy this city in three days. Now, the king hears about it, and the king says, who is this God you're talking about, Jonah? Is that what he said? Uh-uh. That's not what this king did. When he started hearing about it, the king got really concerned about it. And the king said, you know what, let's, let's find out what we got to do here to make things right. And so, verse 6, two, 3 and 6, The word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and laid his robe from him, and covered himself with sackcloths and ashes... And he caused it to be proclaimed and to be published through all Nineveh by decree of the king and the nobles, saying, let, every, let neither man or beast or herd or flock taste anything, let them not even feed nor drink water until we have repented of our sins. And he said, Let them be covered with sackcloths and, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way. and from." You see how that this king had his whole city repent? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Here's a, here's a Pharaoh down in Egypt, and he said, who is God? I don't have to listen to God. God said, all right, fine. I'll harden your heart, and you'll not listen to me. And here's another king, when he hears, I'm going to destroy the city, he doesn't say, who is God that I'm going to listen to God? I don't believe what you're saying. God's going to destroy the city. Let me ask you something here today. How do you receive the word of God? How do, you, how do we as individuals receive the word of God? Do we say that one of these days, you know, the Lord's coming back for his church? I don't believe that. I don't believe that. One of these days, the world's going to burn with a fervent heat. The Bible says that. It'll burn with fervent heat. I don't believe that. You know, is that the attitude we take? You know, okay, you know, who is God? Jesus, he lived 2,000 years ago. Where is he? Who is he? Anybody seen him lately? You know, that kind of an attitude. And when we play around with God like that, folks, we can get in trouble with the Lord. But if we will say, God, I am a a mortal, made of the Lord, I wouldn't even be breathing if you had not breathed your breath of life into me. The Bible said he lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Did you know that? I know we're born of our mom, and we're born of moms and dads, you know, and conceived of dads, born of moms, and everything, and they spank us on the bottom when we take our breath and all that. The Bible said he lighteth every soul that cometh into the world. So the fact that we're living that breath of life in us is all really from God. And he breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living soul and has passed on down to us. And I say that because we owe God our lives. Your existence, the person you are, your body, soul, spirit, When you die, your body dies, but your soul and spirit never die. It goes back to God. Amen. At the resurrection, the the body and the soul are reunited together to become the full and and complete you that you are even today, only not in a earthly body, but in a heavenly body. I won't go into detail on that, but that's a great study in itself. But I'm just saying here, this is what God has in plan and in store for all of us who will walk with God and serve the Lord. But we can say, oh, I'm my own person. I'll I do what I want to do. I'll live out my life the way I want to, and so forth. And when we do, folks, God can cut us off. He can shut us down. He can bring an end to dealing with us. He really can. But if we would say, God, have mercy on me, like these people had no guarantee that God would spare their city. They didn't have no guarantee that God would spare. They didn't say, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, I'm going to destroy the city in three days. He didn't say that. This is not what Jonah's message was. Jonah's message was, I will destroy the city in three days. I'm going to do it. And they said, God is going to do it. Unless we can just convince him that we are sorry for our sins. And so they called on the name of the Lord. And the Lord said, okay, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do it. And uh, so he turned his heart away and he gave them repent. Well, of course, Jonah got a little upset with God because he wanted Nineveh destroyed because he knew they were a Gentile nation that would someday perhaps come against Israel and give Israel a hard time. So he did, but the Lord said, no, no, they repented. They turned their hearts to me and I forgave them of their sins and he let them live. Praise God. And I won't go any further with that, only to say that this is why that the Lord gave, in other words, here was a, here was a king who was a vessel of mercy, and here is another one who was a vessel of wrath. That is Pharaoh was a vessel of wrath and God made him. So I'm going to go back to the book of Romans here for just a moment and read this verse of, of scripture to you here a little for, a little bit further. Verse 22. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured much long suffering the vessels of wrath? He put up with Pharaoh, a long time before he finally said, okay, it's all over with Pharaoh. I'm not going to use you no more. I've cut you off. You're not going to be one of, one of my children. And I'm not going to use it in any kind of way. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. And now, let me just say something here. This is interesting. Very interesting. God can use whoever He wants to use. I want to show you something in the Bible. On my time, I've got about three more minutes, and I'm I'm through. But there is a scripture that's found in Isaiah. This is interesting. This is Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, the last verse in Isaiah 44:28, and the Lord is prophesying about how great God is and how God can do anything. Now, here's what he prophesies. All of a sudden, out of the clear blue, the Lord prophesies this in Isaiah 200 years before it happened. 200 years before it, it happened. And that is verse 28 here, 44, 28. That saith, I am the Lord that does all these things. That saith of Cyrus, Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. He prophesied that through Isaiah. Verse 45, one, this is a continuation of, of the last verse in 44. Thus said the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings to open unto him the gates, then the gates that he be shut. And he goes on to say here how that he will let call this, and he said, verse 3, And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, have called, which called thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. And look at verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. You haven't even known me. I've already talked about who you're going to be. And you say, wow, that's a very interesting. Yeah. And you read about it in Ezra. 200 years later, it happens. And this is what it says in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. I wonder how he got that name. One of his dads, said, his wife, said, the, wife, the mother said, what well, are we going to name this baby? And the father says, I don't know. There's a name that come into my mind. His name's Cyrus? How does that sound? Let's call him Cyrus. You know, God just put it there. Hey, you want to raise? Pray to God. God can change the hearts of managers, bosses. He can touch their hearts. God knows how to do it. God knows how to do all these things. He's sovereign. Now, look here what it says in Ezra 1.1. 1, 1. Now, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord, by the mouth of Jeremiah... And I was reading from Isaiah, and he's talking about something else from Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he might that a proclamation, proclamation throughout all the kingdom, be put also in writing, saying, "Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia: The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem." Well, that's what Isaiah said would happen. You understand what I'm saying, folks? That God can say, I can raise up a vessel of mercy, and he can can cause people in your life to do things for you and to help you. If you will say, God, I need your help. Don't ever say, I don't know how God's going to do it. God can do it all kinds of ways. He is the master of all things. And he goes on to talk about how that this king, he got so fired up. And he says now, he says, uh, verse 3, Who is there among you of all the people his, that his God be with him? Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. And he goes on to say, And I'm going to give all the golden vessels that were taken out by Nebuchadnezzar and old Belshazzar Bel- Shaz- to tried to drink out of, and he saw the handwriting on the wall, and he slew, he was slain and all that. All those golden vessels, take them all back to Jerusalem and put them back in the house of God. And not only that, I'm going to give you some of the treasures from my own treasures that can pay for all the expenses, a lot of the expenses. I'm just telling you, God can move in powerful and great ways. Praise the Lord. And he used that old Gentile king that did not even know him to fulfill his goal, God's goal. And he will do it if he did it for Israel He will do it for you. He will do it for me. He will do it for his people. Hallelujah. (laughs) Folks, all we have to do is say, God, I believe in you and I trust in you with all of my heart. And God will never fail us in anything. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me together? Let's lift our hands and let's just worship him right now. Jesus, we love you so much, God. We thank you for your goodness and blessings. We thank you for the privilege to serve you, Lord. We thank you for the Word of God. We ask you to bless this great congregation this morning. Touch our lives and hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you.